0: When you and I are in the process of setting up our own kingdom, so I've entitled this message, My Kingdom Come, My Will Be Done. When we're concerned about setting up our own kingdom, what we've actually done is we've rejected God as our leader. You say, well, Pastor, I'm not in the business of setting up my own kingdom. Pastor, I I don't want to reject God. Abimelech gives to us the marks of a person who has set up their own kingdom and who has rejected God as their leader. His self-interest, his desires, his goals became primary, what he wanted to do. And we saw this morning that one of the marks of rejecting God as your leader and setting up your own kingdom is that you have little or no time for prayer. That you have little or no time for prayer. We spent some time developing that. And then we moved on and we talked about another mark of setting up your own kingdom. And rejecting God as your leader. Is that you're filled with or you're marked by resentment. Because of the way people have treated you. We see that in the life of Abimelech when he slew his 70 brothers. That he was marked, he was consumed by what others had done to him, or who might stop him from obtaining his goals. And then, the third, if you will, the third wall in setting up your fortress, your kingdom, is that you act in ways that you normally would not. We saw that in the life of Abimelech. But I want to see, show you here the fourth wall. We've got, three, we got two sides and a back side to the, to the kingdom. We're, we're setting up our own palace, and, and we, we, we're going to put on the front wall here, and then we're going to close the moat so that that way nobody else can get in, and I am going to rule my own kingdom. We can see here it's something that Abimelech was very concerned about. You say, what's that fourth wall? What's that mark of a person who has rejected God as their leader and is setting up their own kingdom. You are always concerned about your name. You're always concerned about your name. What are people going to think of me? Take a look at verse 52, if you will, please, of Judges chapter 9. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it and went hard unto the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman cast a piece of millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. Then he called hastily unto the young man his armor bearer and said unto him, draw thy sword and slay me that men say not of me. A woman slew him and his young man thrust him through and he died. Abimelech was a man that was consumed with making a name for himself. He, He was more concerned about being recognized and being remembered as a great man than anything else. He wanted to be known as a leader of leaders where his dad failed to take, uh, take on the, the kingship of, of this area in Israel. Abimelech said, I'm not going to fail like my dad failed. No, his dad actually did right in saying when the people uh, came to him and, and to Gideon and said, I want you to be our king, Gideon said, no, I'm not going to be your king. God is to be your king. His dad, dad actually did right, but Abimelech had more lofty goals. He probably looked down upon his dad. You had it right there in your hand you, you, uh, you had that silver spoon you, you kicked uh, 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 the, the gifted horse, if you will, in the mouth i can 't believe you 've done that, and so now that i 'm going to show you how it 's done. It was all about him and his reputation. You say, "Well, how do you know that? I, I might be stretching it a little bit, but You know what Abimelech's name means? My father is king. My father is king. See, Abimelech's problem was instead of promoting the real king, the Lord Jesus Christ, Abimelech was all about becoming king, he was about self promotion. And things were going good for a while, except for three years into his reign, the Bible tells us that God sent an evil spirit between the men of Shechem and Abimelech. As we read here just a few moments ago, there was a battle with the, the people of Shechem. Those same people that put him in power, they turned against him. The same people that were all excited about him uh, becoming their king had, had now led a revolt against him. And so Abimelech started to fight against them. It tells us in Scripture that they went into this hold or this tower. All the people there, after he defeated some, the the remaining people of Shechem that were left, and and then they they went into this tower. And what he did was he he got these uh, logs and branches and he put it up against this tower. He lit it on fire and those people burned to death. Well, Abimelech figured, well, hey, I'm on a roll here. And so I'm going to go to this second town, Thebes, which was right near uh, uh, Shechem. And so he decided he was going to do the same thing. I'm going to do the same thing to them that, that I did to the people of Shechem. Well, the people of Shechem, uh, the people of Thebes went into a tower. But it says here that Abimelech came close to the tower See, you've heard this story before. Say, so, wait a second. Well, this, is, this is recorded briefly in another place in Scripture. Do you remember the story of Uriah, Bathsheba, and David? When Uriah, when David had planned to murder Uriah... He told them to put Uriah at the front of the battle and then to pull back and have him killed. Well, when it was told David about the war and about what happened what happened with the war, David brought this passage of scripture up. Because Abimelech, what happened here at Thebes, he got too close to the tower and there was a woman with a millstone. A millstone was what they ground flour with. And she took the millstone, threw it out of the window, and it broke open Abimelech's skull. Another man harmed by a kitchen utensil. All right? (laughs) And obviously, had he been left there, he would have been killed by that millstone. What does he do? He calls his armor bearer over and he says, "Look, put put your sword through me. Kill me." He's saying, "Just go ahead and kill me, so that that way nobody can say that a woman had killed him in the act of battle." If that's not a man who is concerned about his reputation, I don't know who is. In death, think about this about this man in death he was more concerned about his lasting reputation than he was about repentance towards God in death he was more concerned about his lasting reputation than he was about repentance towards God is, is your reputation more important than God's I, I, I mean most of us would be pretty quick to say well of course not But I want you to think about something. You know, every time that we fail to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with someone, when we know that the Lord's prompted our hearts, our reputation becomes more important than God's. But what will those people think of me? You know, you might have a prime opportunity, and I'm not saying to force anything because you don't want to force anything, but you may have a prime opportunity this Thanksgiving to be able to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ at a family gathering. Oh, I'm not saying to make a scene, and I'm not saying to, to cause animosity in, in uh, someone's home or even in your own home with another family member, but you know, if you pray for divine opportunities, God will give them. And there might be an opportunity for you to be able to share Christ with a loved one. See, every time that, that we... We don't want to be the quote-unquote weird one. We want to fit in with the crowd. We, we just want to blend in. I, I don't want anybody, you know, I, I mean, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I, I don't want anybody to think that I'm some type of holy roller or some type of weirdo or whatever the case may be. You know, guess what? Every time that we act that way or every time we try and fit in, every time we're not willing to stand up for the cause of Christ, you know what you and I are saying? We're saying that my reputation, my kingdom self is more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. See, you're leading your life. You're setting up your own kingdom. There are four marks of a person who sets up their own kingdom, who reject the leadership of God in their life. You're marked by prayerlessness. You're marked by resentment. You act in ways that you normally would not. And you're marked by total consumption of your reputation. So what's the outcome? Write this down, if you would. What's the outcome of such a lifestyle? What's the outcome of such a lifestyle? Well, you know, we haven't really looked at the one brother who escaped the murderous rampage of Abimelech. His name was Jotham. When Abimelech went to kill his 70 brothers, Jotham escaped. And after uh, uh, Abimelech had killed all his other brothers, Jotham gets an audience with the men of Shechem. And he goes on the top of a hill, and he tells a parable. He tells a parable about some trees here in this portion of Scripture. And these trees wanted a king over them. These trees, it says first that they go to the olive tree, and then they go to the fig tree, and they both refuse to be their king. And then they go to a a grapevine, and the grapevine refuses to be their king. And lastly, they go to a bramble bush, or we would say a thorn bush. And they say, ask the thorn bush to be their king, and the thorn bush accepts them. And Jotham he says, I'm rebuking you the men of Shechem for treating Jerubbabel who is Gideon, Gideon my father's house poorly by killing my 70 brothers. And say and he goes on to say, look, if you've done what's right by making Abimelech king, then that okay. If that was the right thing to do, then okay. But if not, if you've done wrong, let judgment fall upon you and on Abimelech. Then Jotham takes off and runs for his life. Jotham's prophecy comes true. Abimelech, we find, is a horrible leader. And the men of Shechem turn on him, and there's much loss of life and also the life of Abimelech. Take a look, if you will, in Judges 9 56 and 57. So, what's the outcome of such a lifestyle? Here we go. Thus, God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his fathers in slaying his 70 brethren. And all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render upon their heads and upon all them that, that, that came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel What's the outcome? Well, I told you the outcome when we started the message this morning. Whoever rejects the leadership, when you and I reject the leadership of God in our lives, it will always end in destruction. See, this all took place, it came back to haunt Abimelech. The one thing that he wanted more than anything was power, and power is what corrupted him and finally destroyed him. And this all took place because Abimelech was more concerned about leading his own life and setting up his own kingdom than allowing God to lead his life and allowing God to have his way in Abimelech's life. But I want you to write something down here, if you would. What are the biblical lessons that we can learn from this portion of Scripture? I've given you the four marks that if, if you're setting up your own kingdom and if you are, if you are not allowing God to lead your life, and you need to evaluate your own life. But what are the biblical lessons that we can learn from such a horrible, really a very troubling narrative? Write this down, if you would, if you're in the habit of taking notes. God's judgment may take time, but God's judgment is Sure. God's judgment may take time, but God's judgment is sure. Here, friends, listen this evening. Don't mistake God's space for repentance with the act or with God failing to act. Don't mistake God's space for repentance with God failing to act. It took three years before this prophecy that Jotham had given came true. Why did God wait three years? Because he gives people opportunity to repent. Why has God waited so long for, to, to, uh, to come back? Because he would have all to come to repentance and the saving knowledge of him. See, too many times we mistake God's space for repentance as Him failing to act. And God is giving time for man to repent and for them to come to Christ as their personal Savior. In Second Peter 3.9, the Bible says this, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering toward us, willing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Bible lesson number one, God's judgment may take time, but His judgment sure. Bible lesson number two, I mentioned this this morning that I was going to show you this from scripture that your problem is not outside of you, but inside of you. Your problem is not outside of you, but inside of you. Do you realize that this is the first narrative in Judges that the oppressor comes from the inside instead of the outside? The oppressors were not the enemies of Israel. It was one of their own. It was Abimelech. And the point is that so many times we look at all our problems and all our issues as all stuff from the outside. And that's the reason why I am the way that I am. No, the reason that you are the way that you are is because you and I, we give in to our sinful hearts. We learn that the real problem for the nation of Israel was, is not the foreign nations, though they were a problem, but they were the problem themselves. Your problem is not outside of you, but in you. Abimelech was consumed by pride and self-interest, and his problem was an internal problem. Mark chapter 7, verse 21, the Bible reads this way, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. So the first Bible lesson we learn from this this narrative this evening is that God's judgment may take time, but his judgment is sure. Second Bible lesson we learn is that your problem is not outside of you, but inside of you. The third Bible lesson that we learn is that your sin is its own judgment. Your sin is its own judgment. Think about what happens in this narrative. It's the sin of Abimelech And the people of Shechem, what did they do? They murdered 70 brothers of Abimelech. That becomes their own judgment. What did they do? They betrayed their brothers. Their betrayal of others became the same weapon that was used against them. It was used against Shechem in the end. Shechem betrayed Abimelech, and then Abimelech went after Shechem and betrayed them. He didn't try to make amends. No, once, once Shechem came after Abimelech and betrayed Abimelech, started this, this coup uh, uh, um, of, of ousting Abimelech. Abimelech didn't try to have a peace treaty and make it right with his brothers. No, what did they do? They, they, they ended up betraying one another. And the gory death that Abimelech inflicted upon his brothers was afflicted upon him in shameful death. Your sin, many times, is its own judgment. What's the other Bible lesson that we learn? You might want to write this down. Destruction is certain for anyone who refuses God's leadership. Destruction is certain for anyone who refuses God's leadership. Verses 56 and 57. Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his fathers in slaying his 70 brethren. And all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render upon their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeru- Jerubbabel. Or Gideon, we would say. Destruction is certain for anyone who refuses God's leadership. Listen, no one is going to get out of being judged by God when they try and lead their own life. God has consequences for all of us if we set up ourselves as king of our own heart. So then what's the answer? You know what the, the I, I guess it's the fifth Bible lesson that we learn here? Here's the answer we need a king. We need a king. What this teaches us is that no one else is able to better lead us than Jesus Christ, our King. See, we need a King that will rescue us from our own hearts. We need a king that will govern us perfectly and sovereignly. We need a king that will make us like him. We need a king that will save us from ourselves. What we need and who we need this evening is King Jesus to sit upon the throne of our hearts. That's what Judges 9 trying to teach us this evening. That we cannot lead ourselves. That we can't have our own kingdom that it's dangerous for us to sit on the throne of our own hearts, that it's dangerous for us to reject the leadership of God in our life. One man said it this way, when there's no larger kingdom to capture my allegiance, when there's no larger kingdom to capture my allegiance, my life sadly becomes about what I want and how I can use other people as a vehicle to get what I want. The simple prayer that Christ teaches us with thy kingdom come is the antidote to a selfish and destructive life. The simple prayer that Christ teaches us with thy kingdom come is the antidote to a selfish and destructive life. So the question is this evening, who's sitting upon the throne of your heart? There are four marks to people who have rejected God as their leader. There's four marks of people who have set up their own kingdom. You know what? There are four marks of someone who's headed for destruction. Let me ask you, whose whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom are you building? Maybe this evening you need to evaluate your own life, and I need to evaluate my own life and say, Lord, I know that you're my Savior. But I put some other things upon the throne of my heart. They may not even be bad things, sinful things. But listen, anything that you put upon the throne of your heart, though in and of itself may not be sinful, becomes sin at that point. Why? Because you've replaced God with an idol. You know what one of the biggest idols in in the 21st century is? The family. The family. And I'm for the family. But we've put the family above what God wants for us. Uh, Maybe it's money. Maybe it's prestige. Maybe it's relationships. I don't know. Maybe it's your reputation. I'll never let anybody see me fill that in. I don't know what it is. But the question is, whose kingdom are you building? Is God on the throne of your heart? Is he ruling and reigning?